Hello there. Welcome to the Yummy Factor, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the mesmerizing world of filming food commercials. I'm Xander, food and tabletop director, and I'll be sitting down with the true masters of the craft, including directors, food stylists, practical special effects wizards, and anyone involved in this crazy world to hopefully shed some light on what it takes to make food look absolutely mesmerizing on screen. Today, I'm talking to motion control supervisor Dan Gottesman, a tech enthusiast whose innovative spirit placed him at the forefront of cutting-edge advancements in merging motion control robots with virtual production. Check out Dan's incredible work at the Garage Motion Control in the description below. All right, Dan, how's it going, buddy? It's going just fine. So, um, welcome to the show. I'm just going to go right in. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, what the hell do you do? What do I do? Uh, I am, my official title is uh, motion control supervisor. And I am employed by a company called the Garage Motion Control, uh, which is a subsidiary of a production company called The Garage, based in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, The Garage is a production studio production company that was founded by photographer director called Steve Geralt, who I know, you know, genius, Steve Geralt, master of all trades. Yeah. Yes, very much. And, uh, the company came kind of out of, uh, I don't want to say necessity, but something along those lines where, uh, I started working with Steve as a digital tech and a DIT. And then as he began his journey into motion control, we were sort of at the right place at the right time together. And it just sort of made sense for me to be his sort of go-to tech guy. And after a couple of years of doing that stuff together and getting many questions and inquiries and requests for shooting at the space or using the robots and all of the technology, it became clear that there was an, an interest and need potential opportunity for a separate motion control specific business. And so when Steve decided to move from his smaller studio in Manhattan to the larger space we're in now here in industry city in Brooklyn, he said, Hey, would you be interested in joining the team full-time as the guy in charge of a motion control company, the robots? Yeah. (laughs) And so it's never been my, you know, life's ambition to run a company or, you know, to be in charge of all of these things like this. But, um, you know, I, I thought about it and it, uh, it just made a lot of sense because, uh, cause it really is a terrific opportunity and there's just so many really awesome people and things and jobs. It, it's just, it's an unusually high density of great things. And it, it seemed like it was too good of a, too good of an opportunity to pass up. Can you explain whoever is listening and might not be so familiar with this technology What even is motion control? Sure. Motion control is the term. It's actually, it's a tricky one because it it can be uh, used in a couple of different industries. So if you were to just like start Googling around for motion control, in addition to what we're, what we're talking about here, you'll also find a more traditional engineering automation world where people build machines and other systems like you know, for manufacturing and any number of different industries. So, but motion control, just generally speaking, is using a computer 
or some other pre-programmed system to move things, usually with motors, in a programmable, repeatable, oftentimes precise uh, manner, which can then be used for production. So if you have, you know, like, like think of like a, an assembly line that's, that's using a whole bunch of robots to build a, a car that kind of falls under motion control too, technically. But in this context, in the creative context, motion control refers to moving a camera usually around with some form of programmable motorized rig, as we call it. Obviously robots are the most common and the most popular, but uh, motion control has been around since before people were putting cameras on robots. Motion, yeah, con- yeah, motion control started in the, in the sixties, yeah. technically assembling cars or assembling stuff and being very precise. And, mm-hmm. and then somebody had the idea at some point to, to put a camera on it. And now, I mean, especially here at the garage, I know that one of the ideas was, okay, on one robot, you put on the camera, but another robot, you might be able to put on a light or you might have a robot pouring some liquids. Yes. I remember that at the beginning, and, and you've been doing this for a while, mm-hmm. that it was still a technology that a lot of people were afraid of because it was so slow because you had to type in the coordinates in it. Yeah. Can you talk about how things have developed and where we are at at the moment? Absolutely. Uh, the, the current state of the art is actually very exciting. There are ways of using things like our phones and iPads, you know, little, little portable devices which have either LIDAR mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. or AR, you know, augmented reality. Sometimes it's just, just using the internal accelerometers and gyroscopes in the phones or, or the devices to record their physical motion in the world. So, you know, you can basically record kind of the, the way that image stabilization works, where it can actually uh, record where the device has mm-hmm. moved in space and then save it and or transmit it. So one of the, you know, working our way backwards, you know, the newest stuff, the, the, the most exciting developments in that world are being able to control a camera, you know, a robot with a camera on it with your, you know, iPad or your phone in your hand. And as you move, it moves with you. So the ultimate motion control, because you can move it, you know, you can use the device you have in your hands and you can do whatever, like even these imperfections, I'm assuming that if you want it to feel more like a floating camera. Exactly. The, yeah. the cool thing about the, the, the motion control hardware and software combination is that, again, back to the original definition, it's, it's, it's intended to be repeatable mm-hmm. and precise, right? So whatever you tell it to do, you know, it's a computer, it's a robot. It'll, it'll do exactly what you told it to do to the best of its ability over and over again, exactly the same uh, until obviously something fails. But this technology seems... Or is, is super exciting because now the the director of photography, the DP, you know, you just set everything up, you give him a phone or he just takes his own phone and, and then he can, you know, he can do the moves that he's envisioning. He's not waiting for you to put some data into a computer. It's true. That, that is, that is a, a way of doing it. Um, and, and I, I can see that gaining popularity, mm-hmm. but there are some caveats to that because uh, just because it looks good when you do it with your phone doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look good on the bigger on the bigger rig, because as you'd mentioned earlier, it does literally record every little imperfection, every little wiggle, every little thing that you do. And if that's the look that you want, great. Right. But it's 
you know, at least in our world, in food and tabletop world. But you can smooth it out, right? Like if, 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 if I take the device and I say, okay, I want the camera to start here, go over here. And obviously with my bare hands, it's going to be a little bit more shaking, for sure. but you're going to have those tracking points or moments in space or uh-huh. those points in space yeah. that you can, you can, you can smooth them out. Right. I, I can, but, but now that's reintroducing the original concept of going back in and moving things. Right. See what I'm saying? So yeah, you can do, you know, one and done. I'll record a move. I hand it to you, you run it and everything's cool. But inevitably you do ultimately wind up making little tweaks and adjustments. No, of anyway, so no, no, yeah. obviously we need you. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my point. Um, I'm just, my point is that sometimes people get so excited about how easy and fast something can be, mm-hmm. but they kind of lose sight of the fact that sometimes you're still putting in a little bit of, you know, post cleanup or fine tuning, which can in some cases be just as time consuming as yeah. doing it from scratch. But I mean, in the end, it's all about working in a way that seems like that, that functions with our brains. You know, mm-hmm. if, a, if a DP, he's envisioning a certain move and like, now he can take this device. He can like go in there. Yeah. I have worked with uh, motion control people who don't necessarily have that knowledge of like what movement looks good where should the parallax go like when should we tilt and then you see the dps getting frustrated because they have something in their heads and they're not really able to explain it in coordinates or totally and it takes a lot of time but this makes it so much easier to have a conversation the you know the dp takes it moves it around and then you know like whoever's controlling the motion control goes like okay i get it now i just have to smooth it out a little bit exactly boom yeah and there's there's some cool uh similar alternative uh, approaches as well. So another version of what we we're just talking about, at least with the software that we use allows you to just do keyframes. Mm-hmm. So instead of me recording your entire performance, what I can do is I can say, okay, here, hold this, put this where you want to start. Mm-hmm. And then you push a button and then that records where that is in space. And now it's just a one, a one shot. And then you, and now you get to move to, so you want to go from here to where, and you move over here and then you record that. And then I get those two coordinates in space. And then I can, that that alone is also super useful. Yeah, so that's really cool. And then the other really neat thing to continue, in addition to being able to record moves in a room in the real world, we also have an ever evolving technology called previs or previsualization, which is not new. A previs has been around for a long, yeah. long time. But what's really interesting now is how quick and fast it has gotten. Where we can we can set the systems up so that. I can use, so in the, in the past, just to, just to back up a second here, uh, previs came around with 3d animation and, you mm-hmm. know, 3d animation has been around for 20, 25 years because before you spend all the time making it look beautiful and pretty, you got to make sure that your timing is right. Your framing is right. Your, your anime, you know, all of that yeah. stuff. And then, it, you know, it's an iterative process and the technology has gotten to the point now. So they, you can use the same 3d animation tools because at the end of the day, motion control with camera, we're moving a camera around in X, Y, Z space, you know, we, you know, and that's, we're, it, you know, we're just taking the 3d in the computer and putting it in the real world. And so what, um, what we, we can do now, uh, the, 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 so backing up again, the challenge here is just because you got a camera move looking the way you want it to look in the computer it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look good once I get it on a machine. Do you have an example? So it has to do with the way that motors work, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. So think of it this way. With, the, with your 3D camera in your computer, there is no, there, there is no gravity. There is right. no inertia. There's right. no, you know, there's no friction. 
So I can have the camera go from zero to a hundred in, in one frame. And I can, I can go from here to, you know, something that would in the real world be physically impossible. Right. So that that's an, an easy to understand example of what I'm talking about. So sometimes when I get a move from somebody who's already designed the whole thing and they got it looking just the way they do, the first thing that we'll do is we'll have to smooth out the, the heads and tails. You know, it's like, okay, wait, I just, I'm going to need like, you know, 10 frames to ramp up to speed just, just to get that. And then if there are abrupt stops or quick, quick changes of direction, little, little things like that to, to take into account the physics and the mechanics of the machine. So if this machine would be like a car and you want a shot where the car is going at a hundred, right. you need a couple of seconds. You know, if, if it's a Porsche, you need at least like what, like eight, nine seconds for the car to get to a hundred. And then I can't stop immediately either. Right. So if you want me to stop, Input, exactly. 10 seconds where it's going at a hundred yeah. and then you cut, but you have to let the car precisely break again. Exactly. That's a, a very easy and yeah. apt analogy. So what's really interesting now is uh, I can, we can, we can do, a live, if you will, previs session. And what that, what that means is I can use the software that I use to program my robots, which already knows what the limitations and, and speeds and velocities and all that stuff of the machine. I can use that to control a virtual camera in 3d and I can use it to program moves and I can have, I can quote unquote run my move from my software in the 3d. And so you'll still get to see you know, it's still rendering the view and the perspective and the timing and the framing and all that stuff, just like you would with the 3D camera, because of the software that I'm using, the robot control software, yeah. we, it's a program we use called Flare. Mm -hmm. So because Flare already knows what, you know, the capabilities of the robot are, it doesn't, it doesn't have to have a robot attached to it mm -hmm. in order for me to program a move. Right. I can, I can fire up Flare and tell it, you don't have a robot, but it'll still do all the right math and all the right calculations. And I can send that data in real time to something like Unreal or, right. you know, any other 3D animation program and animate a 3D camera that everybody else can look at. And we can get approval and, and you know, just get a good feel for it. So that, that's actually a really exciting recent development. Again, a lot of these things have been around for a while, but getting them all just kind of connected in, in just this way is still a pretty new thing. What would be a scenario where you would do a previous? So I'll give you an example. I'll tell you a story. Um, so we had a job not too long ago where our clients came to us where we had to be in a very specific location that had a very specific timetable. And they mm -hmm. said, okay, we only have six hours at the spot and we want to do four setups with three or four variations of each one. We're pretty sure we know what we want as far as the, the moves are but time is of the essence. And so what I told them was, here's what I can do. I can go to, we, we can scout the location. I can get a, a 3d scan. I think I showed you my, my phone. Mm -hmm. I can, I can do a polycam 3d scan of the room and I can get, you know, pretty, pretty darn accurate 3d representation, which I can then bring into a 3d program. And then, so you're not just the whisperer of robots. You also you know, scan environments. Well, and I, so I, <laughs> I know a thing or two about a thing or two, but I am a, I'm a huge advocate of, of collaborating. I love working yeah. with people who are really experienced and passionate about, you know, different things. So again, I know enough about 3d to, 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 to collaborate, but I, I don't ever, I don't consider myself a 3d person. Okay. And, and actually in, in, in this context for this story, uh, it's, it's, you know, how sometimes sure any competent, you know, creative technical person can do the whole thing by themselves, right. but it's way more fun and it's way easier and more, you know, time efficient to have a helper or a buddy or a collaborator or an assistant, call right. it what you want. And so in this case, 
having a second person who's focusing on the 3D, you know, the way we set it up was you focus on the 3D stuff. I'll focus on the camera stuff. And between the two of us, we'll make it look and feel really nice and fluid. And so, so that's what we wound up doing. So I got the scan of the, of the, of the room. I forwarded it to my 3d guy and then we set up a virtual set with, and I was using the same computer, the same system that I would be using on the day. And we just set up a, you know, a couple of different focal lengths of lenses to give ourselves some choices. Right. He then using zoom sent his camera feed, if you will, like the render, you know, what, what the 3d camera was seeing to the zoom. So everybody else on the call was seeing the camera, which I was controlling with flare. So does that make sense? So, so now what we can do is we can take our time. We can put in our subjects and our models. Unreal engine. He was using unreal for this. Yes. Uh, And so what was really cool is we could take our time and talk through these different setups. That's amazing. Get, get our, get our blocking right. And then I could make variant one, variant two, variant three. And we can see, okay, cool. That's what we had in mind. Now, now we know what it looks like and now we know what we want with unreal. Another nifty little takeaway. Another plus is he was able to record the performances, if you will, the, you know, all of the 3d data as we were playing it live. And then after the meeting was over, he was able to take those and render those out at higher resolution, which then, you know, produced nice little quick time clips that we could send to them they could drop them in their timeline and then they could start chunking in their, their rough, their edit. And they could say, Oh, you know what? Turns out we liked version three, but version two is so much stronger when we pair it up with the, you know, and just having, oh, having amazing. them be able to have that in their heads before we even set foot on set is tremendously valuable. Again, it's been around for a couple of years, the, the, what we're talking about, but to get it as fast and fluid as, as we're yeah. getting it now, it's pretty, it's, it's new to me and it's pretty exciting. And, uh, I I'm trying to find, you know, any opportunity I have to use it. So to, to finish the story, after we had all those moves sort of previsd and, you know, in everybody's heads, when we showed up on the day, I did, as it turned out, I didn't even need to open up the files because I, I was able to save all 20 some odd files of those. But because the moves were, were, were simple enough, it was actually faster for me to just reprogram them based on their edit, you know? So, cause, because again, we were working with like, you know, primitive 3d models and approximate stuff. And when we had the real talent in front of us, Oh shoot, that guy's, you know, six inches taller. And Oh, it turns out this thing is about a foot and a half back that way. And so for me to import a move and then have to tweak it, it was just faster for me to just set the two or three keyframes from scratch. But because everybody knew what we wanted, we didn't have to have those explorational, you know, adventures, which, which are fun and necessary, but the fact that we can offline it and do it before right. anybody you, sets you foot on set. Like you did the whole creative part in an inexpensive way precisely and in a way that is not stressful you know everyone is in front of a screen you can like try out 10 different things exactly without having a producer going like guys you have to hurry up yeah no and, and the way and that's actually the way i sell this you know so when i'm having a conversation with somebody uh because obviously this is this is time still uh it's, it's not obviously not as expensive as, as a whole motion control day we right. don't have to pay for the robot we're just basically paying for my time and the and the artists uh the, the 3d artists time mm-hmm. um but you know in my experience on larger scale jobs, if you, if you have a job big enough to justify a motion control in your budget, you you can measure the, the dollars per minute, you know, where like, if you've got 30, 40, sometimes 50 people on set, that, that, that meter is running whether or not you're, you're doing things or not. And so, uh, you know, paying two guys a couple of days 
to do this with just the right, you know, just the producer, just the DP, just the director, just whoever, you know, the four or five people who need to be there. That is a tremendous cost savings and, and time savings. Yeah. And it's going to make the end result so much better because, because you were able to be creative and explore because that's something that I always talk about. And especially with other directors that I had on the show mm. to say, we never have time yeah. to explore. And this is just going to be, be a way, yeah. a fun way of, again, of playing of like, yeah, it was a really rewarding experience. And the, and the, the cherry on top was we actually finished about half an hour early. Like oh, wow. we were actually like, we were, we were able to give them a couple of pickups that weren't even on the list that were like, you know, wish list stuff uh, because we were, you know, cause we were so all prepared. What exactly, why were the moves complicated? Why did you have to do it with a motion control? So the moves weren't terribly complicated. The, the, the piece, the finished piece mm-hmm. was a sequence. And so uh, we, we basically, like, like I said before, we had four different scenes and the idea was they wanted to be able to seamlessly, not seamlessly, but you know, very smoothly and quickly blend from one scene to the other. So to be able to start the second one from where the first one left off and to start the third one from the second one left to get those heads and tails lined up perfectly. So that in post those whip pans and those rolls and those turns and those, you know, those sorts of moves lined up and felt right. Mm -hmm. Motion control was a really perfect choice for that. Another thing that I was just like watching Steve throw some, (laughs) some cereal at a camera. Is there a way of, doing previs in the macro. Do you see something like that coming? I, I, maybe, uh, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Um, the sort of work just to elaborate a little for our audience on what you're talking about. Um, that falls into a classification that I lovingly refer to as food stunts. Mm -hmm. So any kind of stunt work, and it's not, this is actually not just, you know, with food, but anytime you're, you're playing around with, again, things like physics and particles and gravity and, you know, gases and things like that. I'm sure there are simulators on the computer that can, you know, that can kind of look the way it looks. But one of the main reasons why we do it in the real world in the first place is because it kind of, it, it looks, the, it looks as, you know, that's the only way to get that look. Right. And so I, I don't think there's, uh, even if there was a way to, to simulate it in the computer, I don't think it's going to look right. And right. you're going to probably, again, no, wind up having to mess with it in the real world. Now that you've worked doing motion control so many years, is there like a recipe of how to approach this? If I have something in my head, do I first do the focus? Do I first do the move? Do I look at the rig? Like what's... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't really say, you know, and, and I don't, there's no easy answer to that because um, at least... With Steve, uh, every, every job is a new job, you know? And so even though we might've done this, something very similar to this, or might've used this exact rig on a previous thing, but this time it's cherries instead of nuts, or this time it's ice cream instead of beer, you know, or, or soda instead of water, you know, and, and and these are now we need to do three instead of one, you know, or now it's, it's this big instead of that big. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, and, and, and that's okay. And, and that's actually, no, of course. that's part of the fun. You know, it, it's, that's, I think that's what keeps things fresh and challenging and, and, uh, and exciting. The, the one thing I think there is a little bit of consistency when it comes to liquid stuff, you know, because you know, most at the end of the day, most, you know, the difference between water, soda, juice, beer, coffee, you know, they're all, they all have similar characteristics right. as far as the way they're going to flow and behave. So things like that, you know, like one of the, I've seen, you've seen those wave, with rigs where like the, yeah, the you know, yeah. made out of plexi and the thing, you know, we, we have 
there's a, there's a general amount of con- consistency, you know, okay, if I want to make it curl around like this, we can, we can get some consistency with that, but the most rewarding and the, you know, the fun part of this, of this job is, is what we're talking about here is coming up with the process and iterating through it and, and finding the right combination. Yeah. And the point is, is that even though you have all these, all this technology and uh, you can do previses and you can, you know, have the DP hold a gadget in his hands and tell you, you know, how he wants to move. Every job is different. Every job needs the same attention, care, time to tweaking. And no matter how many new tools come out, you know, time, time is the most important factor. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm really thankful that the, the whole crew here, you know, uh, Steve and Haley and the whole, you know, the whole team, given our experience now, have gotten very good at setting and managing client expectations because, you know, to be fair, they, they expect miracles. Yeah. And so, and we, we do our best, but you know, we're good. We're, we've gotten way better at asking for the time and resources we need to, to iterate and, and rehearse and experiment and try things out so that when the time comes, it's like, okay, cool. We now we've, we've put the time in, we've developed this, we've iterated it. And now we're confident that this is going to work. That's it for this episode of The Yummy Factor. If you like the show, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have questions, you can find the contact information in the description box. The Yummy Factor airs every second Wednesday of the month. 